on, let's put our hands together, church. Amen. Amen. You could be seated. Oh, it's so great to see you today. I uh, had on a new pair of pants not too long ago, and uh, I put some change in my pocket, and I thought, wow, when I get home, I've got some change, because I usually use a card, but I had some change in this instance, but I, when I got home, I discovered that there was nothing in my pocket. Everything that I had put in this pocket the entire day was gone and that I had a hole in my pocket. I don't know if you've ever had a hole in your pocket. These were brand new pants. They looked pretty good, if I can say so myself. And they were new pants. They looked great on the outside, but there was a hole. There was a hole in my pocket and everything was falling out. Well, I think that's a great picture today of our holiness and our commitment to God. Uh, sometimes we can look great on the outside, but there can be a hole that's within, in, in the inside. And today I want to talk to you about a topic that very few people are talking about. Nobody's having conferences about it. Very few people are writing books about it. I rarely hear a worship song about it. People are not making websites or or putting social media posts about it. I'm talking about the holiness of God. And I want to talk to you today about how we can live a life that is fully devoted to the Lord. And while it's a topic that a lot of people may not be discussing, it is mentioned in the Bible more than 700 times living a holy life. Can you believe that? That's a lot. That's a lot of scripture. That's a lot of verses it's all the way through the Old and New Testaments. And if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we've been in a series from the book of, say it with me, Leviticus, amen. The book of Leviticus, <laughs> yes. And Leviticus has so much to say to us about the subject of holy living. We've titled the series The Next Level because God is taking our life to the next level in and through holy living. And I want to look at three things today. Number one, what is holiness? Number two, why should I desire to be a holy person? And number three, if I desire to be holy, what do I need to do? And so I want you to take some notes this morning and write this down as we look at this very critical topic uh, about living a holy life. Now, when we talk about holiness, sometimes people think, well, that means that you're withdrawn and you are isolated, you live in a little bubble, and you are totally, uh, totally removed from the natural world. Sometimes when we hear that term, we might think of that. I love to watch a show on television called The Alaskan Bush People. Do we have any Alaskan Bush People fans? Anybody here today? All right, we got two. Amen. At the early service, we had a whole group of people. They were like, we love it. Yeah, Alaskan bush people is awesome. I think they moved, and so this kind of ruins the show, but they originally were in this remote island in Alaska, and uh, they built a log cabin. They live off the grid. They, 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 they have no electricity, no running water. There's big grizzly bears that are constantly lurking around the house, and everything that they have is stuff that they've made and you know their food is what they kill or what they grow. It's an awesome, it's, it's a really interesting show. Anyway, um, but sometimes we can think about holiness kind of like the Alaskan bush people. 
I'm going to move to a remote place. I'm going to kind of, you know, not be around people. I'm just going to get out into the woods and meditate a little bit. And then I will be fully consecrated to God. But you know what? You can be a very modern 21st century person and live a life that is deeply consecrated to God. Did you know that? You can. And I want to talk to you today about how that is possible. But to be a holy person means to be set apart. It means that you are different. It means you're committed to the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're living in isolation, but it means that you are different. I mean, when you when the Lord is the focus of your life, you're not necessarily like everybody else. You are a little different. And let's talk about what that may or may not look like. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1 describes it like this, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And that is a quote from the 11th chapter of the book of Leviticus, there in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, it is, it's, is it possible to be to be a holy person? And I mean, Peter puts the bar pretty high because he says, um, and this is God speaking, be holy because I am holy. In other words, God is perfect. God is holy. So I should be holy. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's a little bit intimidating. You know, like the bar just got moved up. Maybe like this. How can, how can I be like God? Well, when 1 Peter's talking about holy living, he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about progress. And there's a big difference. People who walk in the holiness of God are people that are progressing, but they're not necessarily people that are perfect, right? Because none of us are perfect. All of us would fail if perfection was the standard. But listen, we compare ourselves to God, not to other people. If we compared ourselves to other people, there's two things that happen. Number one, we're prideful because we're like, oh, I got it going on way more than they do. Or we feel inferior because we see that people are better than us. That's why the standard should always be the Lord. Not to discourage us, but to challenge us and to push us forward in our faith and in our walk with Him. So holiness is progress, not perfection. Uh, another misconception is the performance trap. Sometimes we think, well, if I live a life that is perfect and really committed to God, then God will love me. And if I mess up, then God will despise me. And I have to earn the favor of God. But if we believe that, we'll always be on a roller coaster with our life. And God loves us and cares about us even when we make really bad decisions. Even in our brokenness, even in our shame, even in our deepest, darkest mistakes, God's love for us is always consistent. So it's not about performance, but it really is about drawing close to the heart of God. And the more that we love God, the more that we want to be like Him. And holiness is a huge part of that. Now I want to read Leviticus 11, which is the passage that 1 Peter quotes. But I want to read this, and it's a little bit of a lengthy chunk of Scripture. I want you to bear with me. The 11th chapter of the book of Leviticus deals with the dietary codes of the Old Testament. So stick with me just a moment here. All the creatures that swarm on the earth are abhorrent, and they must not be eaten. Do not eat any of the creatures that swarm on the earth... 
anything that moves on its belly or walks on, its all, on all fours or many feet, for they are abhorrent. And then in verse 43, do not, be, do not become contaminated by any of the creatures that swarm. Do not become unclean or defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God, so you must consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. Do not defile yourselves by, swarm, by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, so you must be holy because I am holy. And this is the law concerning the animals, birds, and all living creatures that move in the water and the creatures that swarm on the ground. In order to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animals that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. Now, Leviticus 11 is really an unusual chapter of the Bible. It describes in great detail the dietary codes that God gave to Moses for the Israelites to abide by. And if you read the chapter, he says, you should eat this kind of fish and not that kind of fish. You should eat this kind of bird, but not that kind of bird. You should eat this kind of species, but, but don't eat that, don't touch that species over there. And, and he goes through all of the regulations. In fact, um, there's three different types of laws that are given in the Old Testament. One is the ceremonial laws that related to the worship of God. And God gave specific commands to the Israelites to worship God in this way. And the reason we don't observe the ceremonial traditions of the Old Testament today in the 21st century is because Jesus came on and he became the great high priest that died for our sins, the great Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the all-time sacrifice. So the way that the Hebrew people worshipped in the temple is not the way we worship today because Christ came. And he died and became the ultimate sacrifice. So that's the ceremonial laws. In the Old Testament, there's the civil laws, which are how the state of Israel was governed. And God gave specific orders, laws, rules, regulations um, to manage and direct people. But those were given to the Israelites for that specific time. There's also the spiritual laws. And we follow today as a Christian church the spiritual laws given in the Old Testament. And these are echoed by Jesus and by the apostles in the New Testament. So we follow everything in the Old Testament unless it was changed in the New. So we don't follow the dietary codes. We don't follow the ceremonial practices of animal sacrifice and some other things in the Old Testament because Christ came and all of that changed. Now, in particular, God gives these commands of eating and dietary restrictions to the Israelites. And they sound kind of odd. One of the things that the Israelites were not to eat was pork. And the question is, well, why would God not want people to eat pork? It's kind of an interesting question. Critics of the Bible love to go to Leviticus and quote passages of Scripture, and they say, you Christians are not consistent because you're not doing what the Bible says. Well, no, you have to understand how to interpret the Bible. And the reason that we don't follow the dietary codes today is because Christ has come. And in Acts chapter 11, God said that we could eat any of the food that we desire to eat. Okay, But I think there's something that we can learn from Leviticus 11. And I don't want you to miss this. Why would, why would God give these dietary codes? Well, 
Um, for example, pork. Pork was not allowed to be eaten by the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people didn't know a lot about microbiology at the time. They just knew God said, don't eat pork. Well, today in modern times, we know that pork is one of the meats that is the most susceptible to contamination. Far more than chicken or beef. And in the ancient world, people either didn't cook the meat or they cooked it very little. And so I believe the reason that God was telling the Israelites to not eat pork and maybe some other things was because he didn't want them to get sick. There's even been some studies that have been done on this. And there's a book called The Daniel Fast. And there's some other Christian books that have been written that talk about how the Levitical Dietary Code was a superior diet. If the Israelites ate that, they would be healthier than if they ate some other things. So the reason that God gave the, these dietary commandments to the Israelites so they could be healthy, right? Because they didn't have all the processed food. and They didn't have all the sophistication that we have today. Uh, it's a huge thing. And when we begin to see that, we begin to see the Old Testament a little bit different light. Okay? We can trust God even if we don't know why God gave the command. A couple of years ago, I told my kids, I said, you know, I said, I want you to go and get in the car. And we were in a part of town that was kind of some known criminal activity, some shady people that were around. And I said, walk directly to the car. It was at night. I had my two kids. So as soon as we go out the door, there's a really shady looking guy moving towards us and the car. So I start doing what is natural. I start moving very quickly to the car. I mean, I am like almost in a dead sprint. And I'm thinking, oh, my kids are going with me because I just told them. And I looked around, and they were lingering by the door playing video games. They had like their little games up, and they were like walking around like this, you know. And I screamed at them. I said, get in the car! And, they, and then they started running to the car. Oh, my gosh. You know, And they were like, Dad, you screamed at us. I was like, yeah, I screamed at you. I told you to get in the car. I said, as your father, I see some things that you don't see. And there was a creepy-looking dude coming towards us. And you guys were stumbling all over the place playing video games. I wonder if God says something similar to us. I see something that you don't see. Maybe the reason that God's given us some commands in the Bible that we don't understand, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, the writings of the apostles, we may not understand why the Bible says do this or don't do that or don't have anything to do with that, or do this over here. We may not have all of the answers why God has said that, but we can be confident that God as our Heavenly Father sees things that we do not, and we can trust Him. So we don't have to have all of the explanations to do what God has said. We just need to know that the heart of God is always for our good. God always wants to lead us and direct us in the right way, and so we can trust Him. And it may make sense later, or maybe not. Maybe when my kids have their own kids, they'll see things differently. <laughs> but until then, you got to go with what, I, what I'm telling you. Let's look at this right here. Um, what, why would I want to be holy? 
Why would I want to be holy? Well, holiness brings freedom in my life. Many times we think that bondage is doing what God has said and not what the world has said. But in reality, it's the opposite. Freedom is the ability to not have to live under the control of temptation and sin. That's what freedom is. Freedom is when temptation comes and we're like, eh, no thanks. Not, oh, I gotta, I gotta go down the path of temptation. That, 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 that's not freedom. That's not freedom. So why would I want to live a holy life? Because I want to be free. I want to be free from the control of my own appetites. I want to be free from my own opinions and desires. I want to be free from not having to conform and do everything that my friends say that I'm supposed to do. I want to be free. <clears throat> Samson is one of the great examples of this in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Samson is a mighty man of God. He's, he's, he's the biblical bodybuilder. He has super, supernatural strength, and he's a great judge of Israel. But he's got a problem. Samson follows his flesh all the time. He's taken a Nazarite vow. And in the Old Testament, the Nazarite vow was involved three things. You committed, you didn't cut your hair. That's why Samson had those long locks. You didn't drink alcohol or touch uh, grapes. And you didn't touch dead things. Now, I don't know why that was the Nazarite vow, but that was the commitment that you made. And you read in Judges 14 that even though Samson is this guy that has been greatly endowed by God with supernatural strength, and he's taken this vow, what does he do? He goes and he violates each of the things that he's committed to. So he's in a vineyard, and it's in a vineyard that he kills a lion. Then he goes back to the carcass of the lion and he gets some honey. Evidently the bees went and made a little bee cave in the lion carcass. And he's like, I'll take some honey. So he touches the dead things. So now he's violated two of the Nazarite vows. Samson's life is lived constantly by succumbing to temptation. He, he sees a young Philistine girl, doesn't even know her name, does it never talk to her, doesn't know her family, doesn't know anything about her. He goes home to his parents, he's like, get her from me, I want her to be my wife. And they're like, why don't you marry a good little Israelite wife that loves the Lord, you know, like, come on, Samson. And he's like, no, I've got to have her. So he marries this girl he doesn't know on some impulse. The father of the daughter takes her back after she's been married to Samson and gives her to another Philistine man. And this creates a war between Samson and the Philistines. And so they're constantly attacking each other. Samson's angry. Then Samson goes and he has a relationship with a prostitute. Then Samson gets into a relationship with one of the sinister, one of the most sinister characters of the Old Testament, a lady named Delilah. And he's constantly hanging out with Delilah. He's telling her more about the secret of his strength. And finally he exposes himself and the Philistines capture him and he loses his life. Samson is one of those characters that you look at and go, he had so much potential. But he had one big problem. He could not control his own appetites, his own flesh. 
and he lived under bondage. And he died as a younger man that never reached the potential that God had for him. Why should I live a holy life? So I can be free. Why should I do the things that God's called me to do so I don't have to live under the, do, the domination of my own appetites and my own flesh? It's a big deal. Um, several uh, uh, months ago, Gina had a, a crack in her windshield. A rock hit the corner of the windshield, and we said, you know what? We ought to get that fixed. And we didn't get it fixed. And then in the last couple of weeks... That thing has cracked all the way across almost the entire length of the car. It's crazy. Every couple of days, it's a couple of more inches just sneaking through the windshield of the car. It started with a small indentation that wasn't dealt with, and it led to a huge crack. You know, morally, ethically... The decisions we're making today will have a profound impact on our lives in the days ahead. Samson's moral demise occurred over 20 years of time. Sometimes we sin and we go, well, you know, nothing really bad happened. But you know what? It's the pattern of sin. It's the pattern of destruction that brings bondage and then it brings confusion and it brings addiction and it brings... Uh, a lifestyle that dishonors God and it leads us down the path of destruction and all of a sudden what started as a small little dent becomes a huge crack and what starts so small becomes a huge moral earthquake that leads to a total meltdown. This was what happened in Samson's life. So why should I be holy? So I can live free. Why else should I be holy? Well, it helps me see God. Hebrews 12 14 says, pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. This is not merit-based salvation. It just means that if we want to see God move in our lives, we got to commit ourselves to holiness. I mean, when we live a life of devotion to God, we'll see God move in our families. When we teach our kids to be holy, we'll see... We'll see blessing in that. We'll see God move in our finances when our money is under God's direction. We'll see God move in our friendships. We'll see God move in our career and our life. And we will see God when we walk in holiness. It's another great motivator. We'll see God. Maybe you don't see God moving and working. And maybe it's because some areas of your life are not really committed to the Lord like He would have, like He would desire it. Uh, holiness also allows God to use me at a higher level. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and some of clay. Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will have a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So he says, you know, in a big house, there's all kinds of serving plates and there's all kinds of spoons and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of stuff that you have. And there's different vessels. There's, there, there's different tools. There's different instruments. You, you cook, you serve with different things, different plates, different platters, whatever it may be. And when we are fully consecrated to God, when we're fully committed to the Lord, God can use us as a special tool to do things that he could not do otherwise. 
You become like a special tool in the hand of God. God says, you know, I have a mission. I, I have an opportunity. I, I, I want to use somebody to, to do this. Who do I have? Like, well, I've got, I've got instruments of honor, holiness. I've got instruments of dishonor. I think I'm going to use the instruments of honor. You become a tool in the hand of God. God can use you at a higher capability and a higher probability when we're committed to him. So it's a huge thing. Holiness also makes me joyful. It makes me joyful. Um, uh, it, it brings joy in my life. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It feels good to do the right thing. And it's interesting that joy and holiness are mentioned together here because it always feels good to do what is right. You know, you, you can be struggling, you can be hurting, you can be going through the hardest times, but if you know that you did what God asked you to do, you can at least feel good about that. Amen? You can. So there's four reasons, four reasons why holiness is so good. I wanted to mention one other thing, though, under allows God to use me at a higher level. One of the things that God has given us, one of the commands in the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day holy. And uh, in the Old Testament, they worshiped on Saturday. We worship today on Sunday. But uh, the day of worship was a special day for the Israelites. It was a day of, of worship and a day of rest. And uh, God even promised the Israelites I will make you more productive in six days of work than the other nations around you in seven days of work, if you'll trust me. And that pattern of rest and work and rest and work begin to be established in the Old Covenant. Um, and that's why it's even in the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath day holy. Um, the Pharisee, Pharisees begin to distort that when we get to the New Testament. They begin to add all of these rules to make sure that nobody violated the Sabbath. So they said, you can't take more than this many steps on the Sabbath day because that would be work. You cannot cook on the Sabbath day because that would be work. You cannot heal people if you're a doctor on the Sabbath day. That's why they got upset with Jesus because he was healing people on the Sabbath there was this whole long list of things you could do. In other words, we want you to be miserable on the Sabbath day, okay? But if you really go back and look at the Sabbath principle, the idea was worship and rest. And if we work seven days a week and we never take a break, what will happen in our life? We, we, won't, we won't take care of our physical health. We won't take care of our spiritual health. If we're just constantly going, 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 we have to rest. We have to relax. We have to refocus. And when we do that, God can use us more readily than if we are constantly burned out and stressed out. And we can be that tool of honor that Timothy mentions. So we have to have healthy patterns, healthy patterns of rest and worship. Now, I think that when I, when I think about rest, I think about coming to church and worshiping the Lord, being with you guys and I love to take a nap on Sunday. Can I get a witness today? Anybody like a Sunday nap? Amen. That's restful. Watching the NFL. Amen. Is that good? That's a good thing. Eating some Mexican food. Come on for lunch. Oh, that's a good day. Now that's what I call rest. I don't know about you. 
But when we rest and when we work and we work and we rest in these patterns, then God can use us accordingly, how he wants to do it. Well, how can I be holy? I mean, this is the last question. I mean, if I desire to be a person that's really set apart to God and somebody that really is committed to the Lord, I mean, how, how, can, I, how can I do that? How, how can I walk in holiness? The first thing is spiritual birth. you got to be born. We have a physical birth. We also have a spiritual birth. And that spiritual birth is a huge part of living a holy life. It's the beginning. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Because you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Um, so we got to be born by the Spirit. If we don't have the Spirit in our life, then living a holy life is just dead religious ritual. It's not inner powerful spiritual transformation. And so we got to be born by the Spirit. And listen, when we are born by the Spirit, it is natural for children to inherit the nature of their parents. Do you ever see kids around and you're like, I totally see their mom, their mannerisms, the way they talk, the way they look. Oh, that's just like, that's just like, he's so much like his dad. Do you ever see kids like that? Sometimes you see your own kids and you see a reflection of their own family. It's because kids have the nature of their parents. Well, Gina used to be a school teacher, and we used to laugh every year around the time of parent-teacher conferences because she would ask the question, why do I have such weird kids? You know, there's always like those one or two kids. You're like, the rest of the kids are normal. One or two kids are like, they're really strange. How do you become that strange of a kid? And she would have parent-teacher conferences, and it explained everything. She had one kid by the name of Chris, and Chris was the kid that was always in trouble, but he never wanted to go to the principal's office. So Gina would say, you got to go to the principal's office, and he'd always come up with an alternative punishment, like he would try to negotiate a, a better punishment for whatever he had done. One time, he said, I don't want to go to the principal. I will lick the bottom of my shoes. The shoes that had been in the boys' restroom. The shoes that had been on the playground. The shoes that had been all over the school. And he began taking his shoes off and licking the bottom of his shoes. About that time, the assistant principal came in. And Gina kind of looked at the principal like, hey, do you want to take this one? And she was like, yeah, I got this one. Poor little Chris had to go to the principal and he licked his shoes. And when Gina met the parents at the parent-teacher conference, everything made sense. She was like, I have no further questions. You know what? When you're in Christ, you begin to take on the nature of the Father. That's what God wants for us. So there's a spiritual birth. Uh, Kanye West released his new album. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Kanye. I never had until he released Jesus is King this week. It's an album that's all about Jesus. It's awesome. Now, I've been told that Kanye's lyrics previously were all explicit. They were all about, you know, sexuality and pride and boasting and what I mean, whatever else. And now he's writing about Jesus. 
What would possess somebody to go from here to here? He was born again. He met the Lord. The Spirit of God's in him. It's making a huge transformation. You know, and I hope Kanye stays after it. It's pretty exciting to think about. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Spiritual birth. Spiritual birth is the beginning of living a righteous life. Also, showing gratitude. Leviticus 11.45 For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, so you must be holy because I'm holy. God says, listen, you guys were slaves for 400 years in Egypt and I delivered you? And because you're grateful, you can live a consecrated life. Let me ask you today, are you grateful to God? Are you grateful for what God has done in you? Are you grateful of the things that God has brought you out of? God's delivered you. The psalmist said, you lifted me up from the miry clay and you put my foot on a rock. Are you grateful for what God has done? When you're grateful, living a life of consecration to God, holiness to God, just becomes the natural outcome. God's done all this for me. He wants me to do this. I got it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Gratitude. Oh, gratitude is a huge part. Not burden, not obligation, gratitude. And if there's not something in you that desires to live a life consecrated to God, you have to ask the question, do you really understand who God is and what he's done? I believe the Apostle Paul moved from a killer of Christians to a missionary because he was so grateful that God had delivered him. God had made him new. Personal discipline is also a huge part of holiness. I mean, we have to decide. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord your God, so you must consecrate yourself and be holy. In other words, you have to decide. Nobody can make you be holy. Your wife can encourage you, guys. She can't make you. I can't preach it into you. There's something in the heart of each individual that has to say, I want to be holy. I want to walk with God. <laughs> I want to do the things God's called me to do. Consecration. It's a decision. It's a choice. A few years ago, I gained some weight and I went on a diet and I lost 13 pounds. And I was pretty proud of that. I thought, that's pretty good. But I had to work hard. No cookies. No Starbucks, no meat for a week or so. I mean, I had, I had to hustle it. I was eating celery sticks like 24-7, you know, all that kind of stuff. I committed myself, and it worked. It was awesome. Some of you have degrees in college or certifications. Some of you have undergraduate or master's degrees or doctoral degrees. Whatever you got, you committed yourself to study. You committed yourself to learn. You sat in the classes. You took the notes. You wrote the papers. You took the tests. You went through all the rigors of academia. And today you're reaping the rewards of that. It's a great thing. Physically, if you want to be in shape, you have to do more than read health magazines. You have to go to the gym, right? you got to exercise a little bit. 
Commit yourself. The same is true in the Spirit. Let's commit ourselves to doing the things of God because we're grateful, because we're born again, because of what God has done. And really, there's two wings to this airplane. One is my personal consecration, my decision. The other is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So it's personal discipline and it's spiritual empowerment. And these things work hand in hand. Galatians 5.16 says, So I then say, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. The Spirit of God in me can do things that I cannot do by myself. So I'm committing myself to spiritual growth and discipline, but I'm also recognizing that the Spirit of God is doing things in me that are not normal. And both of these things are working together. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and direct you and work in you? You're not alone in this battle. The Holy Spirit is there. So don't be overwhelmed. Don't quit. Sometimes people say, man, it's just such a big mountain to climb to be holy. Yeah, it is. But you know what? God's given you a great gift. It's the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit, let the Spirit renew your mind. Let the, let the Spirit transform your heart. Let the Spirit lead and direct your life. Let the Spirit work in you to accomplish the things that only He can do. We too often try to change from the outside in, and God wants us to change from the inside out, and that's fueled by the Spirit. Just think about this. When it comes to personal holiness, we spend so much time working on the exterior, how we look, what our reputation is, how much influence that we have, what people say and think about us, all of those things. What if we begin to direct that attention to the inner life, to what's in here, what's in our own heart, the stuff that nobody sees? Because see, the stuff that nobody sees is the stuff that's the most important. And that's where life is so much about. It's about here, not just all of this. That's God's desire. There's a hole in our holiness. All of us have some holes in our lives. But you know what? If we'll commit ourselves to grow spiritually, and if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and direct us, we can accomplish great things for God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer.